morning. Well, good morning. Now that you're awake, welcome to New Covenant Church. We're glad that you're here today. I am so excited for you to be here. I was here during first service. I've already heard the praise set. It's going to touch you. It's going to minister to you. And the word that Pastor Joel has for us today is really going to impact you and your family, ultimately this community. Um, It's an inspired word, to say the least. Thank you for being here. Saturday, this Saturday at 7 p.m., our very own praise leader. Are you leading today? No, Amanda's leading today. Miss Martin is going to lead us into a throne room encounter Saturday night at 7 p.m. It's a time to spend in God's presence, reading of scripture, praise and worship music. Just a time to spend with God. It's a great way to end the week Saturday night, 7 p.m. right here in this area. Then next Sunday, next Sunday, if you want to come to first service, You've always said, well, I've got kids. I can't come to first service. You have no excuse next week. We will have children's services at 9 a.m. and the 1030 service starting next Sunday. So make your plans. You can come a little earlier and your kids can go to children's church. Stand up with me this morning. We're going to enter to praise and worship. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your presence. Lord, thank you that you are already here. You're already ministering. Lord, you know what we need. You know how to bring it. Lord, we accept what you have for us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's time for the sleeper to wake. It's time for the old winds to change. I hear the Spirit say, it's time. It's time for the dead man to rise. It's time for the gray light to shine. I hear the Spirit say, it's time.
that you can I'll sing of all you've done Death is swallowed up forever By the fury of your love Cause you stepped into my agent You took me by the hand And you marched me out in freedom Into the promised land Oh, now I will not forget you, God
which we are part of, but it's much bigger than us. It's every uh, part of the body gathered in this city, in this state, in this nation, and throughout the world. We're all part of the same body. I believe it is a word that uh, we feel like we've been in obscurity from leaders uh, down to whatever level that you serve in the kingdom of God, whatever part of the body that you are, to intercessors, to those praying, to those crying out to God for the promises that he's given you and to your family and to the whole body of Christ that we've been praying and praying and praying and we feel like we're not seeing those answers. But God says, I have heard every single one. His word is still true. Every word that he has spoken will be accomplished. The word of the Lord goes forth and it does not come back void. Every promise that he's given you for your children, every promise that he's given you for your family, every promise that he's given to the body of Christ, he is going to accomplish it. And those people, like I said, every part of the body that feels like they've just been in obscurity as the enemy has attacked and attacked and attacked. And maybe many times you've stumbled, even feel like you've fallen, but you've stood back up and you've stood again and again and again. And you're standing on the word of God. And God says, my word will be done. It's going to be accomplished. If you have heard it, he will do it because the word he has spoken, he will accomplish. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true. I thank you that you have never, ever, ever uttered a word that has not been accomplished or will be accomplished. You will do it and you do it. You do it. You do it. We don't do it. You do it. You spoke it and you will bring it to completion. Our part is to trust you. And we trust you, Lord. We give you all glory, honor, and praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you give the Lord some praise this morning?
Amen. Isn't that awesome? Well, it is my honor and privilege this morning to introduce Pastor Joel T. Meyer. He's been with us many times over the years. Uh, Pastor Joel is one of those uh, leaders that I was praying about a moment ago that has stood and stood and stood uh, when he founded the Way Bible Church in Sulphur Springs. There was year after year after year after year after year of hardship, and he stood faithful because God had spoken and given him a word, and he didn't stand on the circumstances or the surroundings or what things look like, Joel, you stood on the Word of God, and we are thankful. And you wouldn't be here today if you hadn't stood on the Word of God and continue to stand on that, and we are so thankful for that. Uh, internationally, he goes around the world to uh, raise up and train up pastors and, and equip them, and we are so thankful and honored that he is with us today. My brother in Christ, Joel T. Meyer. Well, hey, it's an honor to be here with you guys this morning. Hey, can we just give your pastors a hand clap of praise? Uh, Pastor Candace and Pastor Chris over here, we're so grateful to be in an amazing church that gives life to a place that desperately needs hope. Amen. That's the whole United States. We need hope once again. We need to restore our faith in Jesus Christ once again. And as I was praying for uh, New Covenant Church this past week, uh, about as I knew I was going to be coming here, I was like, God, what is the word? in due season that you want to bring this church that will encourage them, that will inspire them, that will give them hope. And I, I received this word from God and he gave me this passage of scripture uh, to go along with it. And it's Isaiah 35. It's the end of verse six and the beginning of verse number seven. And as I've read the scriptures many times all the way through, I've read the Bible several times all the way through. This verse has never stood out to me like it did as I was praying for New Covenant Church. And I mean, you can even look in my Bible. I have uh, stuff underlined above it and below it, but verses six and seven, I don't have anything highlighted on it. And God showed me this verse because um, I believe there's this year and moving forward, there's going to be a redeeming anointing coming upon New Covenant Church. Amen. That you guys are sent out to the lost, the hurt, the broke, the dying, the ones who are struggling with depression, the ones who are struggling with addictions, the ones who are struggling with pornography, the ones who are far from Christ. You guys are called to redeem them and bring them home to the presence of God. Can I get an amen on that? And I pray that you would receive this word because that means you're going to be bringing in people who may not look just like you, who may not act just like you, whose kids may not be the ideal kids that you would want to sit on the front row of church and look so prim and proper, but they need Christ. And as God calls you to be a redeeming church, I believe that he's going to use you mightily. And he gave me this passage of scripture. It's the end of verse number six. And it says, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And this part really stood out. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. And I believe that's who you're called to be. And not just Lampasas, but this whole central Texas region. Amen. I believe that as the uh, Austin area grows, you're going to have an influx of people coming into this region looking for hope, looking for faith in Christ Jesus, looking for what they call the good old days, right? But we are living in the new days when the Holy Spirit is pouring his spirit out fresh and new. And I believe New Covenant Church is supposed to be a catalyst in this region to make the burning sand a pool of water a place of refuge, a place of refreshing, to make this place here a place where the springs begin to flow like the Word of God says, and the thirsty ground has a place of nourishment. And so I believe that your job and your church is really called to begin to not just have great church services, because you guys have an amazing church, but just as God has completely remodeled and redone this and it looks brand new, He says, I'm doing something brand new. 
This is what you have done inwardly now needs to be taken outwardly. And our job as believers is not to leave here and say, wow, we had good church. It's to leave here and say, how can I go be the church now? Who in my life personally, in my job, in my school district, who do I know personally that is straying from Christ or drifting from Christ or has never known Christ, God, that you want me to bring into a redemption relationship with you? And the word redeem means to make new again or to return to an original state. And so you guys are literally giving people new life in Christ Jesus. And I believe that as you embrace that call, as you go out, God's going to start highlighting people in the grocery store. It means you're going to walk by somebody and you're going to feel the tug of the Holy Spirit. It's like, that's their redemption story. They need it. Go talk to them and you're going to keep on walking because I do it too. But then you're going to turn around and go back to them and say, hey, God just wanted me to come and talk to you just for a second. And you're going to bring them to a place where it gives them hope in Christ Jesus. And you're going to share the gospel with them because about what Christ has done in your life. And they're going to say, you know, I've been asking God. I've been wondering if there was a God. I've been searching because I don't even believe in God. But you're an answer to my searching. You're an answer to the questions that I have. And you're going to begin to embark on a relationship with people who need to know Christ Jesus So I'm praying that God would open our eyes, all of our eyes, mine too, that no matter where we go, that we are carrying the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Because I remember when I was once far off, come on, and he sent somebody into my life, come on somebody, if you're born again, you may have never been a bad person, but you were far off at one point. You didn't know Christ Jesus, and somebody came along your path and helped you have a redemption story where God brought you back into his purposes, his plans, and into his family called the household of faith. Amen. Do you receive that this morning? Man, I believe that God's got that for your church. And so in saying that, we are so excited to be here with you guys this morning. If you have your Bibles, open it up to Colossians chapter number one, verse 15. I know we are in a series called Fix Your Eyes on Jesus. Come on, man. I love it when we begin to focus on Jesus, magnify Jesus. And I believe that Jesus, according to the scripture, he is the word of God made flesh, according to John one. And he came and dwelt among us. The Bible says in the beginning or the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. But where was Jesus? You got God, the father. You got God, the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter one, verses one, two and three. But it doesn't mention Jesus. If you're not reading it right, you'll miss it because it does. Because John one, one through five says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so when God began to just speak. He was speaking Jesus into fruition. And in those moments, Jesus comes to life. And I believe now more than ever, Jesus and the word of God have the final say. And that's the title of this morning's message, the final say. And so let's jump into the scriptures this morning as we read Colossians 1 um, verses 15 through 20. As this is the main passage throughout the series that says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. It all belongs to him. Come on, somebody. They were created through him and they were created for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent for in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Come on, man. 
If you're ever wondering what the Father has in mind, look at what Jesus did. If you're ever wondering what the Father is thinking, look what Jesus was doing. Because the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus Christ and through him to reconcile, to redeem all things to himself, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. I love it. One of the most amazing passages of scripture ever right there. And as we jump into the fullness of this text this morning, I want to warn you up front that I have a lot, a lot, a lot of scripture in my text today. Okay. So I just want you to be ready for a ton of scripture to come your way this morning, because I believe through expounding on the scriptures, the scriptures will interpret itself and the word of God will prove to you through the word of God, not a preacher preaching the word of God. The word of God will prove to you through the word of God that it is the final say because of how the word of God was created, developed and how God put everything exactly the way he wanted it in his word. Can I get it? Amen. And so we're going to start with this passage of scripture in John 1, 1 through 5. It says, in the beginning was the word. Everybody say the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life that was the light of men. Here's my favorite part. The light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Come on. I love it. So it doesn't matter how crazy our world's getting, and it's getting crazy, right? Like, like we are spiraling out of control at a pace like never before, and it is going nuts. But if you don't know the Scripture, you're going to be held captive by what's going on in the world. But if you know the Scriptures and you know that the Word of God is the final say, you'll be able to read this verse. Jesus is the light that shines in the midst of the craziness. Come on. Jesus is the light that shines in the midst of chaos. Jesus is the light that shines in the midst of everything going on. And he's the light that shines in the midst of the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And so I pray that begins to give you a firm foundation after what we read in Colossians and after what we read in John. And so how does it apply to your life personally? As we're building a case for Christ and the scriptures. And so I approach this message like an attorney approaches a case in a court of law. You have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt for the jury to be able to give you a full conviction. I want to prove to you beyond a reasonable doubt that the word of God has a final say, not just in your life, but in everything that we're encountering in this world. And how does it apply to you? In Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, the discerning of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now let's break that down for just a second because it says it is the discerning between the soul and the spirit. Those are the most most two closely intertwined things in your life. The spirit of God on the inside of you, your spirit, when you made Christ Lord and Savior of your life, was born again. It came back to life. So literally you were living in existence, but you didn't really have life. You had an existence on a planet, but you didn't have life that comes from Christ. So you were a breathing entity with no living spirit on the inside of you. When you got born again, your spirit came to life. And that's why Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, you must now be transformed 
by the renewing of your what? Your mind. And then you'll know what the will of God is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So even though your spirit is born again and it is directly connected to the spirit of God and you have new life in Christ, your mind, which is your soul, it's, your soul is made up your mind, your will and your emotions. Come on, emotions are great to have, but they're horrible decision makers. Come on. And so your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, you got to start renewing that process through the new life-giving spirit in the word of God that I've given you. So the most two closely intertwined things, the word of God is so sharp, it still can separate them. It separates your soul and your spirit. And they're so closely intertwined that many times the psalmist would write it write as them being one. And so in that, it says he divides between the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, which is the physical part of your body. And this is my favorite part. It is the discerning of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Which is referring to the area of the soul again. The thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, we live in a world that says, follow your heart. You know, just follow your heart. Go after whatever is in your heart. And I'm telling you, don't follow your heart. Do not follow your heart because the scripture is superseding who you are as a person. And the scripture says this about your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things. And we live in a culture that says just follow your heart. Go after whatever feels good. Go after whatever feels right. Go after whatever you're passionate about. I'm telling you not to follow your heart, but to follow the scriptures of God for your life. So you can be created into the image of Christ Jesus and fulfill what God has planned for you, not what your heart desires for you. And the Bible says the word of God is so much the final say, the final authority, so supersedes every area of this planet and our personal life that it divides between the soul and the spirit and it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of our heart, which is deceitful above all things. Will you make a decision today? To open up your heart, <laughs> to let the Spirit of God come into it and say, I'm going to live my life according to the Scriptures and what God says about me, rather than the culture to run after the chaos that the world has for me. And I'm going to challenge you, if you do not read your Bible on a daily basis, you're missing out on the, on the foundation that God is trying to build your life on. I hear people say this all the time. Well, pastor, I'm just a prayer person. You can't pray right if you don't know the word of God. Well, pastor, I'm just a worshiper. You can't even worship right if you don't know the word of God. Because then you're worshiping according to your own self rather than how the scriptures say to worship. And so I'm challenging you, the word of God, if it is the thing that holds the whole planet together, holds everything together, we just read in Colossians, Jesus said this himself, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand forever. If Christ himself said that, we must go back to, as a church, putting great emphasis on the scriptures and what God has for us. Now, we know this. The Bible was written over a 1,500-year time span. By 40 different authors or 40 different writers on three different continents and in three different languages. And I bring up this point to prove to you that it could not have been written by a man. It was written by God through holy men, as we'll learn later in the scripture. 
It was written by God through people, but it was God's plan to bring his word into the earth. And he did it over a 1,500-year time span with 40 different people on three different continents and in three different languages to prove to you that it's not an earthly, earthly religion that was created, but it was a movement of God through his people. The redemption plan of all history is what he created, and he gave us his plan of how he was going to redeem a lost and dying humanity when he started in Genesis chapter number 3, and he completed it with the fullness of the canonization of the Bible when Revelation chapter 22 was written. And so this is God's redemptive plan for the planet and all the people on it, not an all-encompassing history book. And if you only read it like a history book rather than a word straight from God, you're going to miss the purpose of the Bible and you'll start asking the same questions everybody else is asking. Well, is the Bible really real? Is the Bible really authored through the Spirit of God that walked this earth in human form? Is the Bible really? See, the job of Satan is not to get you to um, deny God. It's just to simply get you to question him. The job of Satan is not to get you to deny God. But Mike, if he can get you to question God. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden with the first sin. Did God really say... Did he really say? He's not trying to get you to not deny him. But if he can just get you to question him. You'll step out of the will of God for your life. Because you believe there's a greater final say, a final authority than this. So I'm challenging you as we go through this. We know that the Bible was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors on three different continents and in three different languages. But this next picture I'm going to show you. It's probably one of the most amazing pictures I've ever seen in my life. And so as they put this picture up on the screen, I want you to begin to understand and show you what this represents. Do you see at the very bottom of that, all that big rainbow stuff, all the lines that are going across the bottom? All the lines that are going across the bottom, each individual line that's running up and down represents one of the 1,189 chapters of the Bible. So that is 1,189 individual lines placed together. And you can see where Psalm 119 is. It's almost right in the middle. It's that real long line that comes down. Come on. Right? That's Psalm 119. And so the very last chapter is Revelation 22. The very first line over here is Genesis chapter number 1. And out of those 1,189 chapters of the Bible, the colored lines represent 63,779 cross-references of the Scriptures. That was written over a 1500 year time span by 40 different people on three different continents in three different languages. And only God can bring cross references out of Leviticus into the epistles. Only God can bring cross references out of the Psalms into the book of Revelation. Only God can bring 63,779 cross references out of 1,189 chapters that have been written. Over a 1500 year time span by, um, by 40 different people on three different continents and three different languages to make that happen is an absolutely humanistic impossibility. It can only be done by a divine creator that has an established plan that stands outside our realm of time called Kronos. And he can make something happen because he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end all at the same time. And only somebody who is outside of our realm of time that can see the beginning at the end at the same time can create a book 
that will cross-reference 63,779 times. You can't do that if you're in the book, but you can do it if you reside outside the book. Come on, if you believe that. Can y'all just give God a hand clap of praise this morning? I'm tempted right now just to quit and go home. Because some of y'all are already like, I've had enough today for whatever, you know. You know, I'm, I'm full, Pastor. We're done. Hey, when you go to a buffet, it's all you can eat, right? Ain't nobody just goes to a buffet to go one time. Come on. We're going to keep going. We're going to go heavy into the Word of God this morning. And if you can't tell I am passionate about the Word of God, I'm telling you, I'm passionate about the Word of God. To me, it's my favorite thing ever. So let's look at what God is doing as he moves forward. It says, know this. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says this, knowing this, that first of all, no prophecy of Scripture come from someone's own interpretation. Peter's telling us this, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Ooh, that's exciting to me. And I want you to change your thinking a little bit. A lot of you think you carry the Holy Spirit, and technically that could be true. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But if the truth of the matter is the Bible was written by men who were carried by the Spirit, the Spirit can be in you, but it does not need to be confined by you. It actually needs to be carrying you even though it's inside of you. Your body is not a prison for the Holy Spirit. It's a house for the Holy Spirit that he should have the ability to express himself outside of the house. Come on. As he's not confined by you, but he should be carrying you. And I want to get up here and every time I preach to this amazing church, New Covenant Church in Lampasas, Texas, I don't want to preach by my will. I want to preach I'm being carried by the Holy Spirit. So that changes lives. And so I'm praying that as you walk out of here, I don't want you walking out. I want the Spirit of God carrying you out. Because your body is not a prison to confine him. But your life should be lived in such a way that he, uh, that he can carry you. And not be confined by you. Second Samuel says this, chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. Now these are the last words, the Bible says, of King David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse. The oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of God, the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. This is what David said. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. Why should I believe that the word of God is the final say? Because of the fulfillment of scripture. That's why I should believe the word of God has the final say. Because of the fulfillment of scripture. Now listen, we've gone through a lot of scripture already, but I'm fixing to bring you through 51 passages of scripture. Some of y'all are like, I just saw somebody go. No, it's going to be fun. It's going to open your eyes to something so phenomenal about the power of the Word of God, that you will never forget the amazingness of God's Word. So listen to this. Here's 51 prophecies that Jesus is the Word of God and has the final say. Number one is this. The Messiah would bless the nations through Abraham's lineage in Genesis 12. Two, the Messiah will make a covenant with Isaac's ancestors, Genesis 17. The Messiah's scepter will come through Judah, uh, will come through Judah, Genesis 49. The Messiah would come through David's offspring, 2 Samuel 7. The Messiah would come through a virgin and he will be called Emmanuel, Isaiah 7. The Messiah will end up in Egypt, Hosea 11. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5. The Messiah's ministry will destroy the devil's work in Genesis chapter 3. And I want to stop right there for a minute. The Messiah's ministry and his work will destroy the work of the devil in Genesis chapter number three. Now, listen, that was only eight. 
That was just eight messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. The probability that one person would fulfill eight messianic prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power or one in 100 million billion chances that one person would fulfill eight of the prophecies. One in 100 million billion. I can't even recognize that number. Right? I mean, that's even more than our national debt. I mean, that's pretty high up there. I had to make something to make y'all laugh. One in 100 million billion chances that the Son of God could fulfill eight messianic prophecies. Let me do a little bit different of an analysis on this to show you what that would be like. We love Texas, right? Come on, somebody. I was born in Michigan, but I got here as quick as I could, right? Got here when I was six. Learned to walk, and I got in the car and started driving. Let's go. Let's get to Texas. That number right there, one in 100 million billion, would be like if you covered the whole state of Texas in silver dollars. For those of you who have never seen a silver dollar, it is about the size of a quarter, a little bit bigger. If you covered the whole state of Texas in silver dollars, two feet deep, the whole state. I'm talking from the Rio Grande Valley all the way up to the Panhandle, from El Paso to Orange County, or from El Paso to the Far East uh, counties on Louisiana line. If you filled it two feet deep with silver dollars all over the state of Texas, but at some point you took one silver dollar in the midst of all those 100 million billion and put an X on it and dropped it somewhere in the two feet depth range across the whole state of Texas. The probability of one person fulfilling that, those prophecies is like skydiving out of a plane and landing exactly where that coin is in the state of Texas, picking, looking down in the two-foot depth, grabbing it up, and picking it up and say, I got it. That's how improbable it is for one person to fulfill eight messianic scriptures. I'm fixing to read you some more. I'm fixing to read you uh, the rest of these scriptures. The Messiah would have a sinless, blemish-free life in ministry, Exodus 12. The Messiah will be humble and serve mankind, Psalm 8. The Messiah would be, uh, become the perfect sacrifice, Psalm 40. The Messiah would preach righteousness to Israel in Psalm 40. The Messiah would teach in parables, Psalm 78. The Messiah's parables would fall on deaf ears, Isaiah 6. The Messiah would, st- would be a stone that caused the people to stumble, Isaiah 8. The Messiah's ministry would begin in Galilee, Isaiah 9. The Messiah would draw out the Gentiles to himself, Isaiah 11. The Messiah would have a miraculous ministry in Isaiah 35. The, um, the Messiah would uh, be preceded by a forerunner in Isaiah 40. The Messiah's forerunner would come in the spirit of Elijah in Malachi 4. The Messiah would be a gentle redeemer to the Gentiles, Isaiah 42. The Messiah would be uh, despised and re- rejected, Isaiah 53. The Messiah will set captives free in Isaiah 61. The Messiah will have an everlasting throne in Daniel 7. The Messiah will bring an end to sin in Daniel chapter 9. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise on that one. Jerusalem will rejoice as the Messiah comes up on her on a donkey in Zechariah 9. They would plot to kill God's Messiah in Psalm 31. The Messiah will be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah 11. The Messiah will be quiet before his accusers in Psalm 38. The Messiah will be abandoned by those closest to him, Psalm 31 and Psalm 41. The Messiah will be our Passover lamb in Exodus 12. Like the Passover lamb, none of the Messiah's bones will be broken in Exodus chapter 12. The Messiah will be mocked and abused in Isaiah 50. They would cast lots for the Messiah's clothing in Psalm 22. The Messiah's blood would be spilled 
fulfilled for the aton- for atonement in Leviticus 17. The Messiah will be lifted up and everyone who looks upon him will live in Numbers 21. The Messiah's thirst will be quenched with vinegar and gall in Psalm 69. The Messiah will be forsaken in Psalm 22. The Messiah would be scorned in Psalm 22. The Messiah's suffering would include thirst in Psalm 22. The Messiah um, would pier- they would pierce the Messiah's hands and feet in Psalm 22. The Messiah will cry into your hands, I commit my spirit in Psalm 31. The Messiah's resurrection was prophesied in Job and in Psalm 118. And I want to stop right there for a second because many people don't realize the book of Job takes place almost right after Genesis 15. So if you read the Bible chronologically, you'll read the first 15 chapters of Genesis and then Job pops up right in the middle of it. And then you go on and read the rest of Genesis. And so I put that in there for a specific reason, because on this, the Messiah's resurrection was prophesied. It was prophesied not just in Genesis chapter 3, when God said he's going to crush your head and you'll bruise his heel. It was prophesied by Job right after Genesis 15, by one of the earliest recollections of Scripture that's been written. Come on, that's, that's good. That's just fun for me. Hey, I, I like to nerd out on some stuff, and so this is one of the things. Give me a little grace here just for a second. It says It goes on to say this. The Messiah will not see decay in Psalm 16. The Messiah will conquer death in Isaiah um, 25. The Messiah will usher in a new covenant in Jeremiah 31. The Messiah will ascend into the heavens and distribute gifts, Psalm 68. The Messiah will judge the world justly, Psalm number 9. That's 48 of them. I got three more to go. But I wanted to show you something that just blows my mind. That one person the probability of one person fulfilling 48 of the Messianic scriptures is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. When I did this on my screen at church, they were able to set up the screen where it just scrolled. Like a ticker, you know, at the bottom of the TV shows. And it just kept scrolling. And we put it on about a 30-second timer. And I just let it scroll for about 30 seconds. Because the probability of Jesus, there's not even a name for that number. Or at least for me, I I can't say it. There probably is, but I don't even know how you express that number. The probability that one man could fulfill 48 Messianic scriptures is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. 49, the Messiah will have authority over judgment. 50, the Messiah will pour out his spirit in Isaiah 44. 51, the Messiah will have a worldwide impact in Micah chapter number 5. These 51, there are, those are 51 messianic promises, prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. But guess what? Jesus fulfilled over 300 messianic prophecies from Genesis all the way through the, the ending of the Old Testament. He fulfilled over 300 messianic prophecies before there was 400 years of silence before the angels of God came into the heavens and broke the silence and said, Mary, you're going to conceive and give birth to a son. So over the 1500 years of the writings of scriptures. Prophecies were being written that only God himself coming into the earth could fulfill. All 300 of them. So my question is, where do we go from here? What do we do with all this information? Because right now I've just built a case, right? Hopefully now you believe that the word of God is the final say. Hopefully by now you're like, okay, there's some merit to this. All my atheist friends that say, oh, the Bible's just full of junk and it contradicts itself. No, they're just not reading it. They're just not reading it in context. 
Because you can't have 63,779 cross-references and it contradict each other. This is why when messages are preached, if they are not built line upon line, precept upon precept, you will make people think that it can contradict itself, but it can't if you're building the message right. And so as we built the case for this, where do we go from here? So my question for you is this. Why should we study the word of God? And here's my answer. Because we live in the last days. Hold on. I'm not this end times prophecy doomsday guy. Ever since the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ into the heavenlies, the last day started. Jesus said in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you, he said. So after the ascension started the last days that we live in now. Now, I believe personally they're escalating. And I think if you want to go deeper into all this information, you need to read a book by uh, Jonathan Kahn. It's, return, it's called Return of the Gods. K-A-H-N is how you spell his last name. Most interesting read I've read in a long time. It talks about the gods of old that God said, do not sacrifice your children to Molech. Right. It talks about how when Christ came, they were driven out into arid places. And we've had basically 2000 years of Christ ruling and reigning supreme on this earth. And Christianity has spread at a rapid rate. But for Christ to return, there must be a return of the gods. And he proves out how the spirits of old that have been driven out are coming back with a vengeance. And that's why you're seeing everything you're seeing today. Crazy, interesting read. Go get it for yourself. I don't have time to preach that book. (laughs) Right. But why should we study the word of God? Because we live in the last days. Listen to what Daniel 4 says in the New American Standard Bible. It says, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words up and seal the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth. But listen to this. Here's the kicker. Knowledge will increase. Knowledge will increase. Science, there's something called the, the, the um, what is it called? It's called the knowledge doubling curve. And that's the amount of time it takes for knowledge to double from where it started to where it is now, and then for us to have twice that much knowledge. So from the beginning of time until 1945, for all that knowledge to double, it would take 25 years. So from 1945 to 1970, all the knowledge we had from 1945 to the beginning of time had doubled. Listen to this. In 2020, knowledge was doubling at the rate of every 12 minutes. In 2023, researchers are saying that it is doubling at the rate of every 10 to 12 seconds. So the information I started preaching at the beginning of this message, knowledge has doubled over so many thousands of times since I've been preaching. You don't believe me? What about this artificial intelligence? Oh, you may hate me for this, but I downloaded one of them on my phone. I just want to test it. I want to see how awesome this stuff was. It doesn't, can it really do this? So I downloaded it on my phone, and the first question I asked it is like, build me a case on the supremacy of Christianity over Islam. And it comes back, I'm sorry, we do not embark on religious connotation, da 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 can't do it. So I said, okay, build me a 10,000-word paper on the history of the NFL. Within 10 seconds, I had a 10,000-word paper on my phone that I scrolled through all the way to the bottom. Within 10 seconds, it had me the history of the NFL written out. Knowledge is doubling. It says, in the last days, Daniel said this, knowledge will increase. Why should we learn the Bible? Why should we study the Bible was the first question. Because we live in the last days. Why should we learn the Bible? Memorize the Bible. 
Why should we know the Bible? To avoid being deceived. To avoid, avoid being deceived. Listen to what Acts 20, verse 28 through 30 says this. It says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So he's putting the cost price to this. It says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You need to memorize the Bible so you're not deceived. I don't believe Pastor Chris is ever going to say anything to deceive you guys, but I do know there are powers that be in the United States of America that want to twist and twist people's minds to think Christianity is the enemy, not the solution. It's already happening. They're putting pastors in prison in California right now. This is America. I thought we had freedom of speech. No, you don't. If you think you're free in America, you're really in more prison than you know. Don't hate on me. I'm just telling you the truth. The great news is it's not too late. Come on, somebody. It's not too late. But if we don't memorize and learn the scriptures, we will be deceived. And so many people will turn people against the church thinking we're the enemy when we actually are the hope and the solution. That's why it's our job now to get the hope out there so people come to the solution of who we are in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say this, the word of God in 2 Timothy 3, 13 and 14. It says, while evil people and imposters go from bad to worse. (laughs) That's what we've seen over the past five years. It's gone from bad to worse. And it's not slowing down. The crazy ain't slowing down. I'm just telling you. In fact, it's spiraling, spiraling out of control at a rate that is unbelievable. Well, it goes from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But for you. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And here's my answer to that. You didn't learn it from me. You learned it from the Holy Spirit. I may have been a vessel that's bringing you a great word from God about the word of God, but anything that's lighting up and you're like, dang, that's good. That's not Joel. That's the Holy Spirit. You got to know whom you're learning it from. You're not learning it from Pastor Chris. You're not learning it from Mike. You're not learning it from Pastor Dale. You're not learning it from me. You're learning it from the Holy Spirit, even though I may be a mouthpiece. Here's the great thing about that. When you open up the Bible on your own, that little bang, that was so good. When you'll be reading it on your own, you're going to get a dang, that's so good. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal it to you, not through me, but one on one. Know whom you're learning it from. Know, get to know the Holy Spirit. Very, very well, because he wants to teach you all the things in the scriptures, Jesus said. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. Finally, this. Why should we trust him? Why should we trust him, Jesus, the word of God? Because Jesus is the word of God. And the two are synonymous. You can't say, I don't like the Bible, but I love Jesus. That's impossible. That's an absolute impossibility. That's just like the, the, Paul said to the church in Galatians. I can't say I love God, but hate my brother. Sorry, that was James. He said, I can't say I love God, but I hate my brother. That's an impossibility. It's such a contradiction. Because God's in him, so I can't hate him. I got to love him. I got to figure out how to work with him. I got to figure out how to do life together with people. Because God is in them. So you cannot sit here before God honestly this morning and say, I cannot... I don't like the Bible. 
You may not like the discipline of reading the Bible. That's a you problem. Because nobody likes discipline. Nobody likes to discipline themselves to do stuff. But with the word of God, you can trust this word because it is that word. It is Jesus Christ himself. And so Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says this as I close. But when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, that word means kairos, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those who were under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. We in the earth, how we live, we operate in something called a chronos timeline, right? You are born, you're going to live so many years, you're going to die. You have a timeline. That's why they call it a line. For God to be God, for God to write this book, he has to operate outside of our realm of time. That's why the Bible says he's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end all at the same time because he can stand outside our realm of timeline because he supersedes time. But in our chronos, our timeline, he comes and interjects himself with his kairos at just the right time. So God, being the God who stands outside of time, knows the beginning from the end because he is the beginning and the end. He knows your trouble before you even encounter it, and he can send a messenger before you even get to the troubled spot to show up at the grocery store at just the right time to bring you the word of encouragement that will set somebody free in your life. Come on, because he's outside of time, so he goes ahead of you and interjects his kairos in the midst of our chronos. And that's how you came to Christ. That's how you and I came to Christ. I was living a lost, sin, sinful life in a Kronos timeline. And at just the right time, when God knew my heart was in a place seeking Him, at just the right time, at an evening worship service on June 22nd, 1988, He said, I'm going to send my Kairos to enter His Kronos, and He's never going to be the same. Some of you are struggling with an addiction this morning. Today is your Kairos moment. God is saying this morning, I want to set addiction people free. And if you'll trust him, he'll come into our Kronos with his Kairos. And he'll bring a transformational power into your life and you'll never be the same. This morning, I believe he wants to deliver people from depression. I believe he wants to deliver men and women from pornography. Hear me on that. I believe he wants to deliver men and women from pornography. It's rampant in our world today. I believe he wants to uh, bring people peace in their mind because you're struggling with uh, anxiety and fear all the time. I believe God wants to set people free this morning. He is a God of the Kairos that desires to come in the middle of our Kronos and show that he is still God. And even though he's over everything of time, He's not so big that he doesn't understand your time. This morning, whatever you're dealing with, we're going to have a prayer team ready for you. And they want to pray with you. And I'm challenging you to go grab a hold of your Kairos moment. Because God is waiting for you to come. This morning, I pray that through this message, some of you who were uh, drifting in your faith, 
wondering if the word of God is actually true, wondering if the word of God is actually everything that we've been told it was all our life, wondering if the word of God is actually still powerful, wondering if the word of God actually is real. I pray that you're not convinced by my message this morning. I pray that the message opened up a door for you to come to a prayer team member today and say, I need my faith in Christ restored. And God in the midst of our chronos will come in at just the right time with his kairos. And your faith in Christ will be made strong again. And if you're that person this morning, don't think bad of yourself. Don't let shame come in your life. Look at what Peter did. God had to reinstate Peter. One of the greatest apostles of all times. God said, I knew it was going to happen. So I already had the reinstatement phrase ready. God knew what you were going through. Maybe that's why I showed up this morning. Because he knew you're struggling with your faith. And he says, here's your opportunity to put faith in me again. And to the ones in here this morning who have never put faith in Christ. Man, today's the greatest day of your life. I want you to come to a prayer team partner and say, I believe in Jesus. And let them pray a prayer with you that you would give your life to him this morning. He wants to come out of his throne in heaven and bring a Kairos moment into your timeline so you have a redemption story that will begin to transform your life and you'll encounter the love of God like never before. And everybody look at me just for a minute. Out of all these things I've mentioned, the thing that holds people back from coming to the altar, and you don't have to go pray with somebody, just come and kneel at the altar and pray. The thing that holds people back from coming to the altar more than anything, it's not a lack of faith. It's a spirit of shame. It's a spirit of shame. Meaning this, the devil that entices you to commit the sin now compounds the sin with shame. You don't deserve to go to the front. You're too bad. That prayer partner's not going to pray over you, right? You're not, they're not going to set you free. I'm asking you to go past the shame. Because shame is the oldest trick in the book for the enemy. And people have missed their Kairos moments with God so many times because shame has kept them in their seat. When the Spirit of God was saying, go forth by faith. This morning I'm praying for an encounter with God in your life. Can our prayer team members begin to make their way to the front? I want people to see who you are so they know where they're walking to. Come on, give our prayer team members a hand clap of praise. Woo! They're walking up here by faith, believing that you're going to take a step by faith and go to a prayer partner. If you want to come and just kneel at the altar and spend some time with the Father, come and kneel at the altar. Whatever you do, don't leave here the same. Don't leave here the same. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me this morning. And I'm going to say a quick prayer. When I say amen at the end of this prayer, I want you to come. I don't want you worrying about what the person next to you is thinking. And if you're in the middle of an aisle and like, well, I can't get out or whatever, just tap the person on the shoulder next to you. They'll gladly move everybody out of the way and help you get to the front. Come on, somebody. This isn't a single person thing. It's a team thing. It's a family thing.
So, Father, now in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, I ask that you remove a spirit of shame and we declare a spirit of courage and faith in this house that people are going to take you at your word. Your word has the final say. I declare deliverance. I declare healing. I declare restoration. And I declare redemptive stories coming out of this morning's services like never before. God, I pray that you reinstill people and reinstate them that have drifted from the faith. And God, for those in the house this morning who do not know you, Jesus, would you draw them into a relationship with you? Church, the altars are open. When I, when I count to three, begin to move. Here we go. One, two, three. Take that step of faith. Begin to come to the altar. Come to a prayer partner as we worship for a minute. Because death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your sufferings, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing and my song will be the same. And oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praises rise. Christ be magnified in me. And oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. Ministry teams will continue to be available and the altar will continue to be available if you want to come up for prayer. We'll close in prayer, and but Amanda will continue to 
to play this worship song for a while after. If you need to go, that's okay. But if you would like to stay in worship or continue to get ministry, uh, you're free to do so. I just feel like the Lord was putting on my heart um, as Pastor Joel preached about the Word of God. And, and as I opened the service about the Word of God, that every word he's spoken is done uh, All of those words about Jesus Christ were prophetic words, spoke in advance, and God brought them to pass. This morning is is the fulfillment of a prophecy of God. God, this church wouldn't still be here if it wasn't for God and his word and what he's spoken. Most of the people in this room weren't in this room a year ago. If you're new, you wouldn't know it because you weren't here. But that's a word, a prophetic word that God spoke that he's brought to pass. And the word that Pastor Joel spoke this morning about this being a redeeming church, God has spoke that word and it's, it, he spoke it before and he continues to speak it. And he's going to do it. He's ministering up front. He's setting people free. He's ministering to you even where you stand. Because he spoke it. Father God, I thank you. We thank you. We glorify you. We ask that Christ be magnified, Lord, in this place, in this world, on his throne that he is seated on. This morning, Father, alive, King of kings and Lord of lords, be magnified, Jesus Christ, this morning, now and forever. Lord, we give you all glory and all praise and all honor. And we are humbled. Humbled that you would be with us, that you would speak to us, that you would work with us. Father, we do pray that everyone in this place today and everyone worshiping together throughout this nation and throughout this world as part of the body of Christ is going to be carried by your Holy Spirit, out into the world, and you will be magnified there even more so than you were this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.